Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about both ministries and to gain access to archives of this radio program. Also there, you'll find an archive of full-length sermons. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and as we go to our study today, we ask the Spirit of God to open hearts to His truth, and we turn together to Psalm 73. Today, we consider how to get from what not to do to what we ought to do when our temptations come. The topic is, when facing temptation, how do we rise into praise? Psalm 73 is our passage of Scripture. We noticed this last week that the psalm begins with its conclusion. Uh, Praise to the goodness of God. That the first thought that is the concern of the psalmist as he writes is that all would know that he is determined to give praise to God. And the last thought of the psalm is that he wants everyone to know that he is determined to give praise to God. That is, in a sense, where his state of mind is that he has as he's writing out this psalm. But as he writes out the psalm, after the first verse and after the last few verses, in the middle of it, you see that although he has come to the point of praising God's goodness and resolving to praise God's goodness, that is not where he's been for the heart of this experience. He's giving you an honest look at the struggle he's gone through, at the trial and the test and the temptation that he's endured, the difficulty and the pressure that it put upon his life, and how it was that he almost fell. And yet of all that, and out of all the temptation, and out of all the trying, that he came to a point at which he responded to God in such a way that now he wants to give glory and honor to him. His story is this. He is a man who has been committed to living the right way and obeying his life or following those things that he knows conforms to the will of God. He sought each day to rise up to do that which would be an expression of God's will for his life, and he sought every night to go to bed with innocence in his life, having done the right thing and lived in the right way. And yet instead of reaping blessing from this commitment to follow the way of God, instead of reaping dividends from following and putting his life and his heart in tune with the God who created all things and is a God of great creative power, but a God also of great moral power, And the expectation would be that if you get on the right side of this moral creator, that your life should actually kind of have a certain level of blessing to it and ease because you're living according to the moral laws that govern the universe. And yet, he's not experiencing blessing or ease. Instead, what he's doing is he's experiencing what seems to be, he's reaping what seems to be curses and trials and tribulation and chastening. He wakes up every day feeling like he's chastened. At the same time that he's experiencing that, he looks over to people who are wicked and evil people who are not yielding themselves to God's will, who are resisting and mocking God and who are boasting in their own abilities and are violating God's laws and violating people. And they seem to be living a life of ease and success. They have little difficulties in life. Instead, they seem to be getting fat off the land and they're going to their deathbeds without any qualms. All is good for them. These two combined observations, the difficulties of his life, even though he's seeking to please God and live for him, and the pleasure and the ease and the comfort of those lives of those who are defying God and not living for him, combined together to make him think that maybe he's made a miscalculation. There's a thought that's being added up in his mind, and it's this, that God is not fair. 
and that I have been wasting my time trying to do the right thing and trying to live in the right way. What we discussed last week was we took note of this. This was basically our point. We discussed how this processed in the mind of the psalmist and how it was that he almost came to the point of falling as a result of thinking these things and where he stopped himself from falling into sin, into destruction because he yielded to this temptation. And what we noticed was this, that we fall or we stand at the point at which we make our pronouncements in life, that we fall when we make faithless declarations and we stand when we make faithful declarations and Here this individual is coming to the point where these things are going through his mind and he is in a sense tempted to say what he's thinking. He's tempted to say what he's adding up. But then he says, if I had said these things, I would have offended a generation of God's children. And so he stops himself. He stops himself from sin and he stops himself from falling because he simply determines that he will not say something. Anytime a person gives themselves in to temptation, anytime a person gives themselves into some sin, ultimately they don't act first, they declare something to themselves first. They say, it's not going to really matter this time. It'll be okay just this once. I'll just do it, whatever it is. They make some kind of declaration in their mind that justifies their action. And the place in which you stop yourself from falling into sin is you determine that there are certain things you will not say. You won't say certain things that grant you permission or declare a faithlessness in you that allows you to do those things. This is not where the psalmist comes back to praise. This is not where he gains his song declaring the goodness of God. This is simply where the psalmist finds a foothold before he trips and falls into the ditch. He simply finds his foothold where he says, I will not say this. And I will not do this. And so, that was our direction for last week, was simply that you decide there's certain things you won't do. There's certain things you won't say. But as far as that goes, it's not far enough. Although he catches himself from falling, he hasn't come back to praise. The perplexity that's still in his mind is still there, and the temptation still is revolving around him. He still seems to add things up to see that he's not getting the fair end of the shake, He still is adding things up to think that evil and wicked people seem to be getting away with impunity for the evil that they've done. He's not fallen to sin because he's not said it, but he also is not pronouncing praise to God either. He's not come through this temptation and this trial into such a place which he's followed all the way through into victory. But he does get there. And we're to get there as well. We're tried, we're tested, we're tempted. We see things that don't seem to add up. We know the frustration. We know the perplexity. We know the difficulties and challenges of life. How do we get from those points? How do we first stop them from leading us into sin? Well, we learned it. We don't say certain things. We don't formulate our ideas and those conclusions in such a way that we declare faithless things. But how do we still move on past that? Not doing something is not enough. Not saying something is not enough. In the face of temptation, God would not simply not have us not say things, but God would have us declare truth. God would have us make faith declarations. God would have us give praise. How do we get to that point? Where do we get to that point? Well, the psalmist gets there, and he wants to show us how to get there as well. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about how we get from not only keeping ourselves from falling into temptation, but how to, through temptation, get to the point 
of praise. But let's note something here about this man's temptation. He is tempted to say, God is not just. It's a waste of time to do the right thing. But he's tempted to say this to give him an excuse or a reason to do the wrong thing. He's tempted to say it because he actually is envying the easygoing, comfortable life of the wicked individual who seems to be living just for himself. And he wants their ease, and he wants their comfort, and he wants what seems to be their carefree lifestyle. We'll point this out to you, but people think that when they're tempted, and they're tempted to turn away from God's will, that what they're really being tempted to do is to kind of assert their own individuality against God. To rebel against God so that they can stand up for themselves against God. They see themselves as somewhat cosmic rebels asserting their own independence. But really, when a person is tempted, the temptation is not to somehow assert your independence and your individuality. The temptation is really to join the crowd. You're being tempted to resist conforming to God's will but you're ultimately really being tempted to melt into the crowd of conformity of those around you who are existing God as well. You're being tempted to join the supposed comforts that come in compromise with the age that you live in. This will make life better for me. This will be easier. This will be more enjoyable if I just join what other people are doing. Sin is not an act of independence in this sense. Yes, you're turning away from God, but you're actually, you're turning into a way of deep conformity. It's an act of concession to the call of the crowd around you. Actually, God calls us out to singularity. God calls us out to a life of complete independence where it is me and God. Where it's you and God. Where you stand with Him and you stand by Him and you stand alone before Him to give Him glory and honor. That's initially how it begins. Satan is the one who calls us to walk the wide path of an easy community. Just do these things. Just join the crowd. Just do it. Just do what everybody else is doing. Add up the numbers. They're living better than you are. As we saw, our man stopped to slide by determining not to speak the faithless word. And as we said again, he's still perplexed. The question is, how does he go back to praising God for all his goodness? And this is where we want to get to this morning. What I want you to note, it's the second point, and it's basically what we're going to talk about this whole time. He says that he's able to get back to the point of praise. He's able to correct this notion that he has in his mind that is incorrect and wrong because he goes somewhere. And it's as a result of going somewhere that everything becomes corrected. The riddle, the perplexity that he's going through begins to unravel and he begins to understand what it is that God is doing and what God has done. And the place that he goes, he tells us, is the sanctuary. You see that? He says, I went into the sanctuary. All this was too hard for me until I went into the sanctuary. And the sanctuary here refers to the temple that's in Jerusalem. He went into the temple and it was there in the temple that everything became plain to him and he began to understand. He actually understood three things. Everything was turned around because in that place he understood three things. First, he understood the ultimate destination or outcome of the life of the wicked. Second, he saw his own piggishness, his own brutish attitude and thoughts, his own ignorance and his own sinfulness. And thirdly, he saw that in spite of his own sinfulness, God had left him a place where he could be continually before God. That God had not abandoned him. That God had not let him go. And these three things change everything for him. And he begins to give God praise. So what did the psalmist see in the temple that opened his mind to this reality? 
What was it they saw in the temple that made him understand these things? To do this, you have to, in a sense, and this is what we're going to do this morning for a moment, you've got to imagine yourself where he is, and you've got to go with him to the temple yourself. You've got to understand something as well. He didn't go inside the temple. He doesn't know what's happening in the inner sanctum of the temple where the priests go and pray. That's somewhat of a mystery to him. He's just an ordinary man, and where he's able to go is just into the entry point of the temple. He just enters into the gate of the temple in Jerusalem, and what he sees there as he's entering and as he arrives there is enough to change his attitude and his mind about these things and to issue in praise. So this morning, for a second, I want to take you where he went. I want you to follow this average man making his way to the temple, making his way to the sanctuary, and see what it is that he saw and what he experienced and how it turned him into praise. As he would have approached the temple, he would have had an option. He could have gone south as he went through the first Nicanor gate. South would have brought him into another gate, and that was the gate in which he would bring some of the lesser, more minor sacrifices. Or if there were serious sacrifices that he'd bring and a sin offering, he would go to the north and go through the northern gate. And there were two different gates that you could come into where you entered into the courtyard where the altar was, where the sacrifices were made. As he was making his way through that gate, and whether he would have gone to the left or the right, you might say, to go through the south gate or the north gate, he wouldn't have been able to do it hurriedly. There would have been a a long line of people making their way as well. Join us in our next broadcast as we discuss how the mystery of the sanctuary actually unfolds to us a life of praise. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.